I'm Captain Kirk. Fascinating. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I saw. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, bears, Melconians, and things to episode 62 of the Wumpa Trek podcast. I'm Jarman. And I'm Steve. We're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. Jarman, what are those? Those are, of course, The Muppets and Star Trek. And we do one-to-one reviews of The Muppet Show and Star Trek, the original series. And this week, we have The Muppet Show with special guest Helen Reddy and Star Trek, the original series episode, Spectre of the Gun. Yes. And uh, no feedback this week, but we do want to give a special shout out to our friends over at the Cosmic Pizza podcast because we just did a guest recording over there. And I think it went pretty well, Steve. How about I mean, you? We, you and I rambled for at least two solid hours, <laughs> no less than two. We solid wasted hours. plenty of their time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Some really inappropriate things were said. We ruined their family show. <laughs> So go check it out. That's uh, Sean, Dan, and Paul over at the Cosmic Pizza Podcast. We talk about Muppet Trek. We talk about the other shows that we've done with the Play on Nerds and Sappy Crap Podcast. So check them out over the Cosmic Pizza Podcast. I said we that. talk a lot about Pong Far. <laughs> Pong Far happened. Yes. A lot of inappropriate discussions. So, so check it out. That's right. But for this show, tell us about the Muppet Show guest star, Helen Reddy, Steve. Well, Helen Reddy, she's Australian born. Both of her parents are actually famous actors and performers in Australia, and she started performing at the age of four in her parents' vaudeville act. Hmm. She came to the U.S. in her late teens, but was really struggling because of work permit issues at the time. Uh, she met her hu- her soon-to-be husband at a party who happened to be the secretary for a major Hollywood talent agency. They got married three days later. She has She did later admit that she married him out of desperation. Surrounding her work and immigration status. Oh, goodness. Uh, But it wasn't until 1972 when she released a song, I Am Woman, which hit number one on the Billboard Top 100. Uh, The song and in turn, Helen herself became synonymous with the women's rights movement of the early 70s. Uh, Over the next five years, she had a bunch more hits, including two number ones. But by 1978, she was singing backup for Gene Simmons on his solo album weird uh and while she released a lot more music she never saw the level of fame again and this time period like her fall is right when this episode of the muppet show would have been recorded the peak of her fame and then suddenly falls. this was at the beginning of her fall well it's funny because i was watching with my girlfriend and she was like oh i loved her song in pete's dragon so apparently she's in pete's dragon that's what most of our audience would know from she plays nora the the female lead in pete's dragon I see. Okay. That's what our generation would know her from. Gotcha. But what's she up to this week on The Muppet Show? Well, backstage, uh, we get our first big taste of Beauregard, the janitor, and Kermit asks Beauregard to sweep the floor, and then he he greases it with axle grease, causing everyone to slip around, and then he puts down sand to take care of the grease, but he puts too much sand down, which ends up putting sand everywhere, including on stage. <laughs> Uh, the only other real backstage moment, we get the Swedish chef and animal who take a trip to Helen's dressing room to sing her happy birthday, but then switch to Jingle Bells when she reveals it's not her birthday. It was cute, but it made no sense. <laughs> uh, on stage this week, uh, Kermit introduces Helen Reddy, but first we take a trip back in time to Marie Antoinette's court uh, with fancy pigs and fancy outfits who performed Staying Alive by the Bee Gees. <laughs> 
It's an awesome set, great costumes, and a great number. And at the end of the number, we see a guillotine looming in the background. It is really bleak. <laughs> Kerman announces Helen Reddy, who performs in a mock studio with the majority of the Electric Mayhem. She performs the surprisingly upbeat song called Blue about sadness, but it's upbeat. Beauregard then wanders on the stage, tells the audience a story about his uncle for Kermit ushers him off. Kermit then introduces Fozzie, who tries to avoid a slippery patch that Beauregard left behind, and he falls repeatedly during this dance number. <laughs> uh, next, we get Muppet News Flash, where a couple is breaking the world record for overhand refrigerator throwing, and guess what? He's hit by a flying refrigerator. <laughs> Rolf then hits the stage, performing uh, a sad and somber pathétique from Beethoven while a bust of Beethoven falls asleep during the performance. I'm just loving this duality of him and Beethoven's bust over and over again. I want more (laughs) of this. (laughs) Uh, Kermit then joins Helen on stage. You and me against the world. It's a sweet, sincere song that she sings to Kermit, who sits on her knee like a child. Yeah. Following this, we get veterinarians hospital. One of the recording studio guys is on the table and has lost his hearing. And it devolves into a bunch of ear and hearing jokes. Up next, we get some hillbilly types singing tie me kangaroo down sport while they attempt to tie a kangaroo down. We then get the final number, which is set in the desert because of all the sand the Beauregard put on stage. We'll sing in the sunshine a sweet number with Helen and a two person camel costume featuring some very impressive choreography from the camel. Mm -hmm. Kermit thanks Helen. Helen feels indifferent about the camel. And that is what we call the Muppet Show. So, Jeremy, what did you think of this week's episode of The Muppet Show with special guest Helen Reddy? I think this is a great example of like what we probably in our minds think back to of The Muppet Show and what it's supposed to be or feel like. It's just it was fast paced, lots of different sketches happening, changes backstage, going out there, host on stage, singing a good song, dance number, coming back, changing costumes, like and all those different sketches we're used to. It was just firing on all cylinders. I don't think anything stood out as being like, like, except you know, like the certain numbers were very extravagant and the, the dance number was very impressive with the camel thing, but nothing jumped out of me. is like, oh, that's like an iconic legendary moment. But at the same time, extremely high quality, just firing at all cylinders episode, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. Totally agree. Uh, great opening number. Like the staying alive was yeah. just a great example <laughs> of getting to watch the Muppets do a contemporary hit because staying alive would have come out, you know, not oh, too yeah. long before. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's two of, I think, maybe some of the funniest moments in all of Muppet Show thus far were in this episode. And while it was a bit of a non sequitur, I really thought the idea of Swedish chef and animal singing together, <laughs> both just being unintelligible, was so funny. It was funny in the moment, but if, now that you even recapping the idea that that is the two of them who make the least amount of sense of any Muppets, <laughs> like, <We're> right. <laughs> it does make sense. Um, So that was... That was it. It's so funny. And then I loved Fozzie's dance number with the guys where he's the only one that seems to be able to find this oily patch on stage. <laughs> and, and even when it makes no sense that the other dancers don't hit the patch, he still falls down like that was just. And he was the one who worried them or warned them about it, too. <laughs> yeah, there's a wet spot here. Oh, God. Um, but there were a few. We'll say loose ends, you know, the non sequitur with the Swedish chef and animal just didn't fit necessarily. Um, the kangaroo thing was odd because the didn't kangaroo, go they had a they had a bit, but they had they had a concept, but no sketch. Yeah, it didn't go anywhere. It was very strange. It was very quick. 
It was like, what, what, yeah. just, what just happened? Like, what was that? <laughs> uh, but you know me, I'm always a sucker for any episode where the backstage plot spills out. Mm, and literally it and spilled right a, out. <laughs> literally. Um, and they introduced it right away. Beauregard was like on stage really early. So in that case, I thought this was very good because it felt like they took a backstage plot and ran it. Also, I want to give a shout out to Beauregard because this whole season, he's been like sneaking out a little more each time, like each episode. He That's went from right, not Dave existing Bowles. in past seasons to suddenly like, here he is in the background. Here he is a little bit in the sketch. Here he's a little bit more in the sketch. And now he's got like a whole episode about him. <laughs> Good for you, Beauregard. <laughs> Good for you, Beauregard. Um, <laughs> but now I think for for sort of a, a guest that I don't think many people are familiar with, I think it was a great episode. And often the great ones are when we aren't familiar with That's right. Yeah. We have no idea. We have no expectations. And once again, she wasn't necessarily anything outstanding, in my opinion. She was just she was just relatively versatile and willing to be there and talented. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I thought she had some connection issues with the Muppets, which we've sort of bagged on before. That's true. A little bit Um, where, you know, she wasn't really looking at any of them at certain points. It really stuck out to me in the uh, the recording studio number. Mm hmm. Oh, she yeah, wasn't yeah. really looking at any more of so in that one. But then she had a really nice connection with Kermit when he was sitting on her lap and stuff. So it balanced yeah. out. Yeah, it was, it was cute. Well, music this week, staying alive. The Bee Gees, uh, famous from the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. This is a great example of Muppets doing contemporary. And it came out in 77. So like a year and a half before this episode, uh, a little bit of meta uh, Muppet Trek stuff here. When I heard that song, the first thing that came to my mind was I so wish that Steve will say during our Muppet Trek episode that that was actually from a musical from the 1950s, <laughs> but it wasn't. <laughs> no, no, it's actually I'm from sorry. 78 or whatever. <laughs> uh, Blue by Joe Raposo. I wrote some of your favorite Sesame Street songs, including the theme, C is for Cookie and Be in Green. Oh, wow. He also wrote the musical for the 1977 Raggedy Ann and Andy film that apparently happened. And this song, Blue, is from that soundtrack. Oh. The Raggedy Ann and Andy movie. Happy Birthday to You holds the Guinness World Record for being the most recognizable English language song. Mm. Jingle Bells is the first song that was ever broadcast from space. I didn't know It was know broadcast that. by the crew of the Gemini 6 as a prank. Oh, cool. Beethoven's Pathetic, uh, one of the songs that took Beethoven from being considered a really gifted pianist to being a really great and gifted composer. Mm. You and Me Against the World, written by Muppet Friend and guest Paul Williams. Oh, once again. And his, his partner, Kenny Asher. Uh, so that's a neat double connection there. Tie Me Kangaroo Down, written in 1957 by an Australian musician by the name of Rolf Harris. It was used by the WWF as the theme song for wrestler Outback Jack. <laughs> of course it was. Uh, we'll Sing in the Sunshine. This is a 1964 hit by Gail Garnett. The lyrics indicate that... Uh, a woman is telling a man that she doesn't believe in love or long-term relationships and she'll stay with him for a year and then they'll, she'll leave him, but they'll both smile when they look back on it. That's literally what the song is about. All right. Go with that. <laughs> uh, so German, what was your favorite Muppeteering moment on this week's episode? Um, it's kind of a toss up between the Marie Antoinette one being just so extravagant, all the costumes, because they have a lot of these now where they have so much money to throw at the episodes like it's great. Um, and there was just a lot going on. But I was just amazed that two people in a camel costume were dancing for that camel dance scene. And and also Helen Reddy was a great dancer for that, too. And they just that just went so well. Uh, so I'm giving it to the camel dance. 
Yeah, I'm also doing the camel dance. You know, we've seen independent dancers do impressive things in those big costumes, but to watch two coordinate so well. Incredible. And then perform with the guest and be like the showpiece. There were besides the Muppets kind of in the background wearing like turbans and stuff. That was questionable this week. <laughs> At least they were in the appropriate setting. Uh, it wasn't yeah, a white true. man wearing a we turban. We only heard one guy speak at the end. So that was okay. It was a little weird. Yeah. <laughs> a little weird. Uh, but to really carry that with the guest was super, was extra impressive. And to think the one person has no use of their arms in the back. The first, the person in the front has to have one arm up to be controlling the camel's head and mm-hmm. doing that dance at the same time. Dear God. <laughs> it's a cow. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, so, Jarman, tell us about this week's episode of the original series that we watched. Sure thing. We have Spectre of the Gun. And I think Steve and I even mentioned maybe off mic uh, last week that or last time we recorded for Muppet Trek that I was like, oh, it's going to be another um, mob episode, huh? <laughs> because I was like, Spectre of the Gun sounds like it. <laughs> it but was time travel It was time travel uh, So it's it's a Western of sorts. So we have uh, the Enterprise being directed by Starfleet to make contact with a reclusive race called the Melconians. And as they approach their planet, a space buoy yells at them to back off and that they don't want any visitors. So Kirk is hell-bent on making this meeting happen, though, so he recklessly beams down to their planet without their permission with Bone, Spock, Scotty, and Chekhov, a little bigger crew than usual. Uh, They find the planet suddenly covered in fog, and then a weird ghostly representation of a a Melconian appears in front of them and says, since they didn't listen, they would now be punished and sent to their deaths. So they're all kind of questioning what's going to happen, and they're suddenly transported to what looks like a half-made representation of Tombstone, Arizona in 1881, uh, where the Wyatt Earp brothers are about to take down the Clanton gang, uh, which is famously made, you know, uh, represented in the movie Tombstone and Wyatt Earp, the Kevin Costner movie. Um, the only problem, though, apparently Kirk and his friends are are the Clanton gang, the people that the, the Earps kill. So even though they're in their Starfleet getup, everyone in this little town sees them as the Clantons and all of their futuristic gadgets don't seem to be working like their transporter, um, their um, their communicator, their phaser. And so eventually they go into a bar. Uh, Chekhov finds a girlfriend and the Earp brothers say that they will kill them all if they don't leave the town by 5 p.m., which is in about three hours or so. Uh, so they try to just leave the town, but a force field is keeping them in. So Bones says he'll create a knockout gas so they want to quick draw the Earps and get killed. But while he's working on the knockout gas, Chekhov gets in an altercation with one of the Earp brothers and gets shot dead. And this, of course, saddens the crew, but they keep working on their knockout gas. So they finally test the knockout gas on Scotty, but it doesn't work, uh, just like their gadgets don't work. So Spock thinks that this whole setup must be just in their minds and that the only reason Chekhov died from being shot was because he believed the bullets were real. And if they just didn't know that they are real, they wouldn't be hurt by the bullets. But in order to fully believe it, they would need Spock's mental fortitude so he mind melds with all of them and gives them the power to fully believe that the bullets aren't real. So the Earps finally attack them and they're forced to uh, go to the OK Corral and have this battle with them. But the bullets don't hurt our crew, and Kirk beats up one of the Earps, uh, but spares his life, and they're all suddenly transported back to the Enterprise, and Chekhov is not dead after all. And the Melkonian being appears again, and he likes that they found a peaceful solution to the problem that he presented to them, so he decides to open up talks to the Federation after all, and all is well in the end. 
So what do you think of this episode, Steve? All right. So this overall pretty positive for me. All right. Uh, some things I like, things I dislike, things I liked. Uh, I like that it started out as like a seemingly normal episode. We're going to go make contact with this reclusive race and then bam, we're in an old West episode. It was such a <laughs> yeah. fun switch. Suddenly. I love that the, the wild West was like a theater set and they addressed it. Like some of that buildings had fronts or missing walls and stuff. And Spock was just like, well, the records they had must be incomplete. Yeah. They made it work. I like that. <laughs> it's very surreal. Uh, I like the Chekhov. I feel like this is the first time Chekhov's gotten some real legit screen time. Yeah with actual character stuff. So that was nice. Cause he's kind of been like the impetulant jerk kid. And he gets to make out with somebody too. <laughs> a lot. Uh, this was also impressive from a star Trek perspective in that there were lots of extras that had actual parts and lines. That's true. Yeah. You got the, the bartender, you've got the apothecary, you've got all the Earp brothers and doc holiday. You've got, uh, the love interest of Chekhov. You've got the, uh, there's at least with the sheriff mm-hmm. like just there's never that many speaking roles that aren't the main <laughs> cast. I didn't think about that. It's true. Uh, I love I, I like the idea of them having to come up with solutions in the period of like, well, what's available to us now and here. So the tranquilizer thing was a fun, I think, kind of call to that. Yeah. And then kind of actually using their technological expertise, like Scotty finding the materials. He sends him off to get the the medical stuff and they, they're all specializing in their field. That's kind of, kind of neat them collaborating in that way. This is the and this might be the one time, one of a few times where I feel like the Vulcan mind meld was used in an appropriate way that actually solved the the issue and not just as a MacGuffin. Yeah, that's true. It's so often used like Spock's mental powers are so often used of like, how are we going to get out of this? I don't know. Spock does something with his mind. This <laughs> is one of the few times that, where right? it, fe- it felt appropriate that like he gave them the fort- mental fortitude to believe the bullets weren't real. Right. And save them. So that was nice. It was nice to see it not be a MacGuffin. Uh, I still can't get over Scotty's new hair. These are things I struggled with. I just can't get <laughs> over it. It looks ridiculous. Uh what was Kirk's plan telling the bartender that they were from the future? Like, I don't know what his plan. They know they were stuck in some sort of alien fever dream punishment thing. But what was he going to gain? Like maybe break the, the simulation or something. Uh, that's what maybe. I was thinking, you know, like break that character out of the matrix kind of thing. I don't know. <laughs> a- yeah, I just didn't get, it. I didn't get his angle. Right. Um, the the scene where Kirk decides to go to the sheriff and ask him to like break up the fight mm-hmm. just seemed weird and played really big. <laughs> it was very big. Where it's like, no one's gonna ask, I promise you. You bushwhack him. Like I was like, oh my god, this just keeps escalating, and Shatner's not gonna stop till someone's dead. Well, I thought that was the point where Kirk was suddenly having the realization because that sheriff was so dead set on him killing the Erps in whatever way possible that Kirk was suddenly going to be like, oh, this is just totally tuned towards us wanting to kill them. I get it. We're not supposed to kill them. I thought he was going to have that realization at that point, but he didn't actually make that turn. He was just just confused by the sheriff and sad. I was like, what the hell was that scene for? That was kind of strange. Yeah, it was just big, and I didn't get it. Uh, I hate that they found an excuse for Kirk or Shatner, I guess, rather, to do his jump kick attack. <laughs> he jumps in the air and kicks with both feet and leaves himself just prone on the ground. It's the worst move ever. <laughs> um, and I do not like the revisiting of what feels like season one of like some benevolent 
race of aliens messing with us and then going, you passed the test you didn't know you were taking. <laughs> At least it was a little <sighs> different that it wasn't actually a test. It was just you're supposed to die now and this is how we we kill you. And that they were just kind of surprised by how they handled it, which I thought was yeah. kind of neat. But it's, so it just felt like a callback. To it was similar, of, though. Yeah. Parts of Star Trek I don't necessarily care for. <laughs> Understandable. So you got some factoids for us? Yes. And it's funny because a lot of my factoids address things you mentioned in your review of the Ooh, show. Okay. So we'll, we'll cover some of that stuff. Uh, the original script uh, called for filming on an outdoor location. But due to budget constraints, filming took place in the studio. This is obviously a giant studio that was filmed in. Uh, budget constraints also prevented the set designers from building a complete Western town. So the concept of pieces of a town drawn from Kirk's mind was developed. So that's kind of how that came to be. That was cool. And it's funny, as we're mentioning, as we're watching this show, uh, I was saying to my girlfriend, I'm sure she didn't really care, but I was saying to her, um, oh, you know, Bones, DeForest Kelly, before Star Trek, all he did was act in Westerns, basically. So it's funny that he's in this episode being in a Western. And I ring the trivia, and apparently DeForest Kelly appeared in other dramatizations of the same historical events. Uh, He played Ike uh, Ike Clanton. In Are You There, the gunfight at the OK Corral in 18. Um, and then he played Morgan Earp in Gunfight at the OK Corral in 1957. Um, he was also offered a role in Hour of the Gun, a movie that was also going to be about the OK Corral, but he had to decline due to his Star Trek commitment. So he was going to be in three movies about the same event. Whoa. Um, for the third season, the velour tunics from the first two seasons have been replaced by polyester ones, which I didn't quite notice, but apparently the fabric's a little different in this season compared to the rest of the seasons. And the reason for this was um, the last, the, the old material, every time they dry cleaned them, they would shrink a little bit. <laughs> so basically the cast was, even if they weren't gaining weight, were looking fatter and fatter for every episode because this, this, their uniforms were shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. So these new uniforms for season three uh, were the same material that professional baseball uniforms are made from. You can wash them as many times as you want and they aren't going to shrink. Um, yeah, because the union rules require that you have to, to clean all the uniforms for every single episode you film. So that was kind of funny. Um, the writing of this episode was influenced by NBC executives who wanted Chekhov to be featured more in the third season than he had been in the second season. So that's why he had so much more screen time, like you were saying. Yeah. Because he's supposed to be their monkey's you know, influence there for the kids or whatever. And... According to James Dewan, this is the other one, NBC executives told him to comb his hair back for the third season. Dewan hated wearing his hair this way and stopped doing so during Star Trek The Tholian Web, which is later on in the season. He's just like, I'm not doing it anymore, even though he's Canadian. He doesn't have that accent. But- <laughs> Terrible. I can't get over how bad it looks. It's he weird. The right call. It's jarring. Um so this uh, last couple of ones after season two, Star Trek was nearly canceled, as many Star Trek fans know. But after a fan led campaign, the third season was finally commissioned by the network, providing a budget cut of 25 percent was instigated. So the third season already was going forward, saying you have 25 percent less of a budget on already a low budget show. Um, so that's why they're reusing a lot of props and special effects footage. And another reason why they had to cut back on this entire set, because, they're like, oh, we can't do outdoors. We can only do indoors in the studio and partial sets. And another fun part, you mentioned all the, the uh, cast members and extras they had in the show. One guy mm-hmm. who kind of stood out for me was the saloon bartender. Um, and that guy's name is Charles Seal, apparently. And apparently he's also played a Western bartender in so many shows. Tombstone Territory, Bat Masterson, Wanted Dead or Alive, The Guns of Will Sonnet. 
and feature films, The Texas Rangers and the Horse Soldiers. He's always the saloon bartender. Uh, I guess when you got to type, you got to type. Exactly. That was him. Good for Charles Seal. So what are our Trek connection, Muppet connections? All right. So in Star Trek, the original series, a book series, The Eugenic Wars, Mm. there was a series of novels. Roberta Lincoln, who was from the season two finale when they started to start, tried to start a new show, reflects in that book that Helen Reddy would have been proud of how she defended herself. Oh, very nice. That is a strong connection. Uh, Helen Reddy was on one episode of The Love Boat. Really? And as we've clarified before, many special guests on The Muppet Show and guests from Star Trek and one-timers from Star Trek have done episodes of The Love Boat. So many. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The song Angie Baby was a hit for Helen Reddy in 1974. Many bands have also covered Angie Baby, including one by a band by the name called Shatner's Hairpiece. Oh, wow. That's a great name for a band. Uh, I think it's going to rain today. A popular song has been covered by both Helen Reddy and Leonard Nimoy. Ah. Uh, so, and this isn't really a track connection, but when I saw this, I had to, I had to call it out. Uh, Rex Holman, who played Morgan Earp, uh, the guy who killed Chekhov and went after the girl, mm-hmm. his final role in IMDb was in Star Trek five. He played Joan, better known as the weird guy in the desert at the beginning of the film who Cybok reveals his ears to, and they laugh insanely together. Yes. I remember that, that guy. guy. Rex Holman was in this episode as Morgan Earp. <laughs> so it was a Trek and connection that, to a Trek connection. And yeah, like I, it was, I know it's not, because, but it was too good to not mention. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Jo- uh, uh, so this, this was the same episode, right? That we They're watched. so similar. They had to, be I just watched episode. Muppets twice. Yes. Absolutely, because both feature women in period dresses. We got Miss Piggy in the Marie Antoinette song and mm-hmm. Sylvia in her fancy dress to impress Chekhov to go to the dance. Ooh, similar. Uh, both feature mix and mash time troubles, staying alive with Marie Antoinette and the Trek crew in the Wild West. Yeah. Oh, very true. Because both feature someone being ingenuitive to solve a problem, but it doesn't end up working out. Uh, Beauregard seemingly cleans up the backstage with very unique techniques, but only to find out it doesn't actually work and makes things worse. Just as Bones thinks he solved the problem by creating the knockout gas, but it doesn't actually work. Uh, that is literally my exact same. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> I also have both feature someone having a theory that they will feel no pain and they are right. So Statler, the very end after the credits, mm-hmm. yeah. he hits his hand with the hammer. He is because he theorizes that he can feel no pain after watching that terrible episode, and he was right. And Spock, in regards to the wow. Earp's bullets, so there you go. That's a deep cut. It sure as hell is after credits, right there. Oh god! Transporter malfunction. What is that? Transporter malfunction. I'm so surprised. <laughs> <laughs> so this transporter malfunction we uh just uh when one character from one episode transports to the other and vice versa they change places it's crazy what do you got for uh, steve well, this week bump into track i've got beauregard coming over to replace the yokel town sheriff <laughs> i like and that. no matter how animated kurt gets he just gets more like buffoonerous 
<laughs> Buffoonerous. <laughs> uh, I have Statler and Waldorf to transport over to play two of the Earp brothers. Doesn't matter which ones. Because they would be perfectly cast as ornery brothers trying to rid their town of the Clanton brothers. I would definitely see that. And then they're just heckling yeah. Kirk every time. Get he tries out of our town! <laughs> uh, Trek to Muppets, I've got the entire crew being transported over to the Marie Antoinette pig court <laughs> fighting against time before their own beheading. Oh, that's actually a good episode idea. Right? That would be a good episode. I'd right? watch the fuck out of that. <laughs> Damn right. Uh, I have Spock transporting over to be Beauregard because he would keep taking everything Kermit was saying too literally, just as Beauregard did, and the results would turn out exactly the same. <laughs> I was unable to find elbow grease, Captain, so I replaced it with axle grease. Exactly. I I'm can, not your I captain. See that. <laughs> I'm the head of the show, not the captain. I can't do a Kermit, apparently. It's just lost. Uh, we'll we'll work gone. on it. It's, it's okay. The current, the current guy can't really do a Kermit either. Oh, you're so right. Five years ago, I could do a great Kermit. Now it's just the guys at Tough Pigs like really defend him. And I understand that the character of Kermit might be in the best shape it's been in years. But like. They're like, Steve Whitmire didn't sound like Jim either. I'm like, yeah, but at least it sounds like he tried. This guy's just like, I'm going to do my own thing, (laughs) which is fine. I guess if he's going to carry the mantle for the next 20 years, fine. I guess so. Yeah. Make it your own. But yeah. The guy who took over for Porky Pig and Bugs Bunny, they don't make their own thing. It's an iconic no, character. No, you're, you're Porky Pig. Right. You get the job because you sound exactly like the way he sounded for the past 40 years. Fun fact, did you know that the voice of Mickey Mouse right now is the Trace Comos guys, uh, guy from uh, Silicon Valley? Which one's the real Trace jerk? Guy? He's like the jerk billionaire who funds them for a while. That guy is the voice of Mickey Mouse? He is currently the voice of mickey mouse holy crap <laughs> i watched a mini doc on it and i was like what i would never have guessed that and uh, what a yeah. diversion folks because that brings us to the end of episode 62 of the muppet trek podcast join us next time for the muppet show with special guest harry belafonte and original series episode day of the dove so from the lovers the dreamers and us live long and prosper everyone Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds.